Fires on the Farm podcast. I'm Donovan, and sitting to my right, as usual, is Roy. Hello, everybody. Hey, before we get into our list here, I want to offer congratulations to Will Myers. Did you uh, see uh, the news? Yeah, well, yeah, he got married last yeah, night. Will Myers got married, so congratulations to Will and his lovely bride. Uh, there was a picture of him there with Hunter Renfro and... Thomas Aswahe. Aswahe, Austin Hedges. Austin Hedges. So congratulations to Will. So the Padres family grew by one today. Well, absolutely. And then the tweet of the night last night was... I bet you. I bet he hated the rehearsal dinner. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. <laughs> oh, that was classic. Um, so, well, good. He settled down. All our rowdy friends are settled down now, and uh, good for him. Uh, but we are here for minor league baseball. Yes, minor league baseball. There's a lot going on right now. A lot going on. We have the Fall Stars uh, game to talk about, and Arizona Fall League. Later on in the uh, in the episode, we're going to have Jason Panini from Prospects Live mm-hmm. uh, talk to us. But we've got Mexico, and we've got Dominican Summer League. We have um, even Australian League starting to make some noise. Yes. Uh, speaking of which, in the Australian League, um, Michael Geddes signed with the Adelaide Bite. Yeah. So well, we've got a friend down in Adelaide, Ante, Ante Playick on Twitter. So I was thinking maybe he could go in there and do some scouting for us. Oh, that would be great. We'll hit him on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> Have some Australian accents on the pod. Yeah. Um, well, here's the thing with, with the Australian League. You know, Gabriel Arias was down there. Uh, Buddy Reed went down there mm-hmm. the last two years and seemed to have found a stroke there and carried that into the new season with, you know, with uh, Fort Wayne moving up to Lake Elsinore and then finally making it up to A. So... You know, Michael Geddes, with all the tools that that guy has, um, and hasn't quite put the bat together yet, hopefully he can find it down there and, and really springboard him into the next season and really uh, you know, reach the potential that he has. Because he has five tools. It's just, you know, a couple of those tools are the stick that are lacking. Well, yeah, he's got kind of four four tools, and then the hit tool is the right. one that he needs to find. Right. And uh, we'll see. There's supposed to be another couple of players going down there to Australia. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, that hasn't been announced yet. But this week uh, on the Padres blog, um, Bill Center tweeted out uh, some stats this week. Austin Allen broke out for two home runs this week. That what, In one game. In one game. In the yeah. five RBIs. This last Tuesday. Um, he's hitting 268, 354, 488. Uh, slash in eleven games. Mm-hmm. Now that's just eleven games is a small sample size, and all the sample size, all the numbers out of the Arizona Fall League are going to be incredibly small. But what it is, it's a concentration of talent that he's doing it against. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have you know sixty at bats maybe in the whole whole league, uh, but you're going to get sixty at bats against quality pitching. You know that's one thing I've noticed is that these guys aren't getting the regular playing time. Right. So he might play every other game. Um, so they're out there to work on things more than you know trying to accumulate numbers and that kind of stuff. Right. In between in between uh, in between games and whatnot. Uh, Pedro Vila. Uh, hasn't allowed a, a run in two starts for Margaritas in the Mexican uh, Venezuela League. Yeah. So Avila, he's when he's got electric stuff. When he's good, he looks so good. So he's got to figure out how to get through, you know, start to start, inning to inning, how to find that consistency. Yeah. I, I say Pedro's a, Pedro Avila is Pedro Avila when Pedro Avila is Pedro Avila. That um, doesn't he, make any sense. It makes sense to me. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think he'd be starting up in double A next season. Yeah, I'm sure he he's going to be out. He'll be there. Well, yeah, and he's Rule 5 eligible, so I'm expecting them to add him to the roster. Uh so he might be in the pool of guys that might get called up at some point next season. Moving on, Esrui Ruiz, uh, 19, the Padres' number 17 prospect, is 3 for 7 with two stolen bases in his first week with Este in the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. Not sure how much he's playing. And, and we'll go on with this. Esprit Ruiz, Ronaldo uh, Elaraza, a lot of these guys aren't playing every day. Yes. Uh, Jason Rosario uh, isn't playing every day. With... When well, you look at some of these rosters, I think the rosters down there are like 50, 60 players deep yeah. on some of these teams. Yeah. I don't know what kind of limitations they've got. Uh, moving on, shortstop Gable Arias, uh, the Potters' number 20 prospect, is hitting 273. He's 9 for 33 with a 333 on base and 10 starts for LaGuardia. Uh, That's and, in Dominican as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's nice to see him continue uh, hitting well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edward Oliveira's 22-year-old Padres number 28 prospect is hitting 263, 10 for 38 with a 349 on base percentage and a 421 slugging for a 770 OPS for Aragua. 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 Uh, Oliveira's has two home runs, seven runs scored, seven RBIs, four walks, and three stolen bases. Not bad. Yeah, I kind of don't want him to do all that well because. 
I think he might be exposed in the row five. Yeah, so, right. you know, learn, but don't do too well. Don't draw too much attention. Exactly. And he's on the bubble. He's one of those guys that are on the bubble. Yeah. To be, he's probably going to be exposed. But Master I, spots are valuable. And he's not somebody that you could really plug into a major league lineup right away. But uh, Fran Mill Reyes, if he hadn't broken his hammy, he probably would have been taken last year. Yeah. yeah. And thank God that happened because, boy, he had a breakout season. Oh, man, I love Fran Mill. Uh, we don't have Fran Mill on the list here, but he hit his first home run for the for his Dominican team this year. Yeah. Well, and if you saw that, he hit like an outside slider on his front foot yeah. with he, one arm. And like, it just looked like, like he was totally just fooled on the pitch and still hit it way out. Well, that tells me that he's balanced so he can stay between his feet while he's swinging that bat at that pitch that's way down out of the zone. He got caught, you know, on the timing, but you can still barrel up on it and put it over the fence. I just, yeah, the guy that we watched this postseason, he reminds me of on that respect is um, uh, Aguilar for the Brewers. For the Brewers. I saw him do that against the Padres where it was a breaking ball and it looked like he just flipped his hands out and the ball goes over the fence. And he's another big boy. Both those guys just... Franimal is just a beast, and so is Aguilar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ronaldo Ilaraza is four for ten in part-time duty for Arugia. See that word again? Aragua. Aragua. So he's more of a he's a <laughs> he's more of the glove first infielder. So seeing him get the bat going a little bit is nice. You know, he's one of those uh, the J two 2016 signs. Yes. That uh, that kind of has still pretty pretty young, but still hasn't kind of um, well, I think reached any potential. I think he's 19. I mean, okay. you got to give these kids a little bit of time to 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 adapt to the culture and all of that before you can really put much production requirement on them. I mean, not everybody's going to be, um, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. and just torch it up the moment they step on the field. Yeah, and torch it, uh, Vlad Jr. has. We'll talk to Jason about that in a little bit. Um, also, right-handed reliever Travis Radke. One of my favorites. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's got a 3.0 ERA and a 1.78 whips. That's not looking so good in Peoria. Um, he's allowed four runs on 10 hits and six walks with 12 strikeouts. Um, I, I don't think they're going to put him on the roster for the Rule 5, but I just – he's a good guy. He's a – I've heard him in a couple of interviews. He's a very cerebral kind of a guy, so I like hearing how he works. Um, you know, I like his story that he – college draftee and then Tommy John lost almost two seasons he's finally having a good season uh, so I hope the best for him um, so I, I don't know what kind of major league prospects he has but the fact that he's in the AZL that tells you that at least they're thinking about you know they're trying to push him to get yeah. past that hump yeah. but they see something in him well he, the strikeouts are there just occasionally maybe lose focus and uh, and it gives it up. Yeah, but he the, also walks in, the walks and the hits. Yeah, and, well, he doesn't throw 95. No. And that's going to be something I want to talk to Jason about as well. It's like, it seems like everyone in the bullpen these days throws 98 miles an hour and just has a devastating slider. Yeah, there's there's still room. There's still room for those guys. Um, Darius Valdez has a 3.0 ERA and a 1.5 whip. Uh in six innings over six appearances, he's allowed two runs on five hits and four walks with seven strikeouts on six innings in the AZL. Yeah, but again, the walks. And that's always been yeah. that's been Valdez's issue is the, the control. Yeah. Not so much command or stuff, but it's it's keeping the walks down. And he's a hard thrower. He throws 100 miles an hour. Yeah, but you if, you can't, if you can't stay in the zone, then <laughs> yeah, there's a million guys out there these days that can throw 100. But you've got to be able to locate it. It has to have some life. You have to understand how to approach hitters. You know, and, uh, and, and speaking of the Arizona Fall League, last night, Buddy Reed won the MVP of the 2018 Fall Stars. Yes. But before we go on to Buddy Reed, let's bring in Jason Panini. We're privileged to be joined with Jason Panini from Prospects Live. One second, Jason. I need up your mic and say hello again. Howdy, guys. How you doing? Good. Oh, doing great. Thanks for joining us today. I'm working the board as well as working the the agenda and everything else. So, um, Jason Panini, former associate scout for the Milwaukee Brewers, now at Prospects Live, creator of BaseballBellCurve.com, which I checked out the other day. It's scouting videos, written written reports. Um, fantastic website for uh, for any prospect that you want to know about. Um, tons of content on there. He's also co-host of one of my favorite baseball podcasts, and that's Scouts Have Eyes podcast, that he talks about life uh, life as a scout, and early evaluator, and the day-to-day ins and outs of just being a scout. Not players, but like the life of a scout. And I just eat that podcast up every time they, uh, they put out an episode. 
Yeah, well, thanks so much for the kind words. Um, you know, we had that idea for the Scouts Have Eyes, and we just wanted to do something a little different. There's a lot of uh, podcasts out there that evaluate players and, you know, have the hosts give opinions on guys. But um, Jason and I had both kind of delved into scouting over the last year, and we just wanted to give um, give other people some insight into, you know, what the lifestyle is like and, um, just what it's like to um, try to pursue a career in scouting. So that was just the genesis of the podcast. Well, have, have you gotten any feedback from other scouts, or do are any other scouts or evaluators listening to it and going like, "Yeah, man, I really appreciate it." Not that I'm aware of. Um, so yeah, I, I talk to scouts at games uh, a lot, but no one's uh, mentioned the podcast. So we're we're not big time yet, but um, maybe someday. <laughs> Well, I, I feel like scouting is one side of the game that kind of flies under the radar. Um, and now the analytics are kind of joining that, that group that you know, we talk about the coaching and the, the, the player development folks and the front office staff. But the scouts never really get spoken about. Every once in a while, I'll see one of these stories like on ESPN.com where they're doing a retrospective and they're talking to Jeff Bagwell's scout, the guy that saw something in a player that nobody else saw. But we don't hear the names or the the stories of what scouts go through, yeah. especially on a day to day basis. And the lifestyle that that they live is just—I have a hard time even wrapping my head around it. I love baseball. I wouldn't be able to just devote my life to living on the road and you know putting the wife and kids aside and all right, I'm just going to go uh, watch high school baseball games for the next four months. <laughs> right? Yeah, scouts. It's. Um, scouts make huge sacrifices and um, I started coming up with this saying and it's uh, I think scouts are the offensive linemen of life they just are underappreciated and um, they only they only get noticed if they make mistakes so uh, yeah that's that's kind of my little saying I've been using recently <laughs> well and, uh, and it's funny just to cut, finish it up with the podcast like one episode was just about diet it's like this is how I eat when I when I you know I'm at the ballpark at not at seven o'clock when the game starts. I'm at the ballpark at two or three o'clock watching early batting practice. Um, I don't have time to eat something, so you know those guys were talking about yeah, have a nice salad and maybe a sandwich, and then try to stay away from the ballpark food. If not, I'm just going to be you know just like an athlete, a, a scout. You know, if you eat like crap, pardon my language, but you're going to feel like crap, and you're not going to be the top of your game. Sure. Yeah. There's a thing like. There's a thing as a scout bod, like in the industry, and you know that's that's the guy who like has been eating out um, fast food a little too much, and um, it's definitely a thing. And uh, just having that balance is important. Um, I know we talked about it at length on the podcast, but I think you're going to scout better if you're treating your body right, and you're going to notice more. You're going to notice um, nuanced details about the game, and um, just in general, think better. So, um, while I love going to as many games as I can, um, that stuff is important too. Absolutely. So, um, let's get on to the AZL. You were at the All Stars game last night. How long have you been? You've been in the AZL all week. So, um, I've actually I've been out here um, since October first, and um, I came out for the second half of Instructs and. Um, yeah, I'm a I'm kind of a crazy person. I'm a nomad. I just bounce around from place to place, and uh, basically, I've been living in Airbnbs the last uh, 16 months of my life. I've been, you know, every couple months I I'm somewhere new. I've spent time in uh, a lot of time in Phoenix, a lot of time in the Carolinas. Um, when I was doing the indie ball thing with the Brewers, I was out in the Chicago area. Um, my folks are in Boston, so you know, in in winter, I go back and stay with my parents. I just, I've I've been bouncing around. I I don't. I feel like my car is my home, to be honest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk about some Padres prospects there in the AZL. Obviously, Buddy Reed had the uh, that bottom of the ninth triple. Yeah, talk um, about going down and getting the ball. That was another one of those. That pitch was down under the strike zone. Yeah. So he had to put a manufactured swing on it. He was choked way up. Probably should have been caught, but uh, bounced off the fence, triple, scored, wound up scoring the winning run, got the MVP. Yeah, Buddy. Buddy's a great athlete. Um, he's got there's definite definite bat speed there, and um, I think the concern among scouts is just 
um, his frame is very lanky and long-limbed, and that exposes him to swing and miss. And um, one of the things I've noticed from watching him in the AFL is um, pitchers seem to work him away early in counts, and then once they get two strikes on him, they try to jam him in. And I think that's where he's vulnerable um, for the inside pitch, whether it's it could be a slider down and in or a fastball up and in. But like there definitely seems to be a pattern in how pitchers have attacked him um, mechanically. Um, so he's a, he's a switch hitter. And from the right, it's a pretty wide stance and um, kind of a moderate approach. I think he I think he looks a little more comfortable from the left side. Um, I think his stance is a little less wide from the left, and he does like a little toe tap thing for um, just as like a timing mechanism. Yeah. And uh, the bat speed's there. He's great athlete. I I mean, run times are good in in the outfield. I liked how he moves how he moves around. Um, I was watching him in pregame drills the other day and. The arm's pretty good. Like I'd give it a 50, 55 or a sixty, so you know, above average to plus arm. There's a lot to like here. It's just the question mark is the hit tool, which obviously it's that's important because that goes a long way in determining uh, the profile. But I think this is a guy um, ultimately who has a good shot to be an everyday player. Like I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a star because I do have question marks with that hit tool, but. Um, you know, he's going to contribute big league value in some shape or form. And there is a chance that he can play every day. So, you know, this is this is a good guy to have in your system, even even with those uh, aforementioned concerns. So the way that you were describing him as being long-limbed and then the, the you know, setting him up for the fastball, you pitch away, away, and then you jam him inside. That, that's a common way to attack, especially bigger guys. Uh, that's That speaks more to the hitting approach. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and what he's setting up for as he enters the, you know, as he steps into the box and doing your research against the pitcher, how pitchers tend to attack different types of hitters. Uh, but the, you described him as long-limbed, and Daryl Strawberry came to mind, and I, I don't know why. Not that he's anything along those lines, but right. I just, you know, it's fun to dream. Um, so, sure. Yeah, I could see that frame-wise, definitely. But Buddy Reed grew up playing hockey and soccer, so I, I think that there's still a lot of learning curve left for him. Baseball is still relatively a new sport for him, if I if I remember correctly. Yeah, he played eight sports in high school. Well, and, and that's the thing, you know, he struggled in Double A, and then now he's turning up in the AZL. Can will the real Buddy Reed please stand up? <laughs> well, another season in Double A, and we should see if he makes the adjustments and steps forward, or you know, if he's if he seems like he's going to stall, and then you know maybe eventually make that call up, but not be the star that we hope that he might become someday. Anyway, so moving on from, from Buddy. Um, so Miguel Diaz, he was a Rule 5 pickup in 2017, spent most of his time coming out of the bullpen, uh, but he has, he has he started a little bit that year. Uh, he's been a starter for the most part in his minor league career. Um, do you have an opinion on him as a starter versus a reliever? Yeah, for me, I think Diaz has a shot to be a back-end starter, and I think the Padres would be wise to um, try to continue to develop him in that way. Um, so, like, the reason I think he can do that is there's a couple things. Um, one is it's a very easy delivery, and there's not a lot of effort there. And um, I just look at that and say, you know, this looks conducive to being pitcher rather than um, a lot of guys in the bullpen are just airing it out and there's a lot of effort and I don't see that at all from Diaz and um, even in like the AFL stints I've seen him he seems to be able to maintain um, velocity you know into at least a few innings deep and um, the stuff's pretty good so I've, I've seen him up to 98 this fall um, the slider's nasty. It's mid to high 80s with like pretty late break, and um, he works his change both sides of the plate. And um, I think it's the command is a little bit better to his arm side than the glove side with the change. And um, there's some feel for sequencing there. I just, I, I think um, it would be unwise to just uh, jettison him to the pen unless you need to. Um, I would like to see him 
get every shot to start. And, um, you know, the Padres are a really smart organization. I, I think that's how they would approach it too. But, you know, if, if he is just a reliever, quote unquote, just a reliever, he should be a pretty damn good one. Um, so I'm, this is a guy I'm excited for. And I know you mentioned the, how he was a rule five pick. I, I just think that was, a interesting and smart strategy to take him there and um, maybe not mind if he struggled a little bit at the major league level because at the end of the day you're going to get you're a pretty good player um, and yeah that's that's all I had on Diaz but I like this guy I, I wonder if he's had more opportunities as a reliever just because that's where the need has been right. when he's had the opportunities at the big league level I and mean, it made sense when he was a rule five guy that okay you stash him at the act the back end of the bullpen you only use him in mop-up duties and then due to attrition, he wound up being used. But then this last year, he came in as, as a reliever exclusively. And that was I – mean, they had tons of starting rotation op- options this year. Yeah. Um, and now looking forward to next year, there's a lot of lefties in that in that group. So being a righty, he might be able to do it, distinguish himself with a good offseason and a good spring training. So while we're talking about relievers, uh, we've got Doris – uh, Valdez next on our list. Um, have you had a, a good look at him, and what do you think of him? Oh man, this this guy is just a monster of a of a human. And he's I think he's listed at six. He's just he's a towering figure. <laughs> um, that's the first thing you notice about. Uh, I don't I don't know how how it's pronounced. If it's Doris Valdez or Doris, um, uh, he's massive. Um, run he runs it up to a hundred and. Um, just looking at his delivery, I don't love his mechanics. Like there's kind of like a, like a, a brief, um, like hop or a pause in his delivery. And one of the things I look at, like when I'm scouting is, um, momentum to home and momentum is basically how quick and, um, how cleanly and how directly is the center of mass moving toward home plate. And, um, I don't. I didn't think Dori, Doris um, had very good momentum to home, and just the long. He's he's another guy who's just due to his height. He's so long limbed, and um, I think that can impede his control. And sometimes he has trouble repeating. Um, he works from this like low three quarters arm slot and just blows heat. And it's it was a very uh, fastball heavy mix in my looks and. Um, one of the things that I kind of found interesting was even though he was uh, low three quarters with his arm slot, because he's so damn tall, he still gets decent plane on the ball. And um, that was one thing that kind of stood out to him about me. Um, he also works with a slider. I've seen it in the mid 80s. And um, it's very much um, control over command with that pitch. It's just if he can locate it anywhere in the zone, like hitters seem to be just kind of flummoxed by it and um, unable to respond because I think they're just looking heat and sitting heat. And um, if he's able to command that slider with any consistency, you know, he should be a pretty nasty weapon in the bullpen, uh, whether that be in middle relief or maybe even higher leverage situations. All right, so kind of flip into the opposite end of the spectrum. We've got Travis Radke that I, I mentioned earlier. He's he's in the Arizona Fall League as well, and he's doing all right. He's had a good season this year. Um, do, can you tell us why you think he has a chance to make the majors? I want you to try to so, sell me on it. <laughs> I wish I could give you, like, the elevator pitch right now. Um, but uh, – <laughs> He's he's one of the few guys I don't think I've seen him, or if I have, I he didn't stand out. Maybe I was taking notes, doing something else. Um, I wish I could uh, elaborate and give you like a legitimate answer here, but um, I think he's one of the few guys. Maybe I just haven't caught him. Um, so there's hope, Tim. They're, they're, okay, then we can stop there because then Roy still has hope. Well, that, that, <laughs> sounds, that sounds kind of fair. I mean, he's one of these guys that flies under the radar. Yeah. He doesn't do anything that stands out. Right. He doesn't have filthy stuff. He doesn't have eye-popping numbers. He's not a physical specimen that you go, wow, who's that guy? Yeah. He just kind of fits in and blends into the background. And then next thing you know, you look at the, the stat line at the end of the season, and he's leading the league in ERA and in relief. Holding his own, absolutely. Kind of 
and and he's coming back from Tommy John, so we you know we really root for those guys that come back from uh, from Tommy John and make their way up the system. All right, so uh, another one of the top prospects for the Padres, Austin Allen. Uh, can he stick behind the dish? And what have you seen uh, from Austin? Yeah, um, to be honest, I I don't think he's a, a stick at catcher, and that would be a big uh, knock to his profile. Obviously, you know, if he if he if this guy is like a first base only guy, then that really diminishes his value. Um, I just I don't I didn't love the lateral movement and agility, and just kind of thought the feet looked a little heavy. Um, and again, like. I'm not great. Like evaluating catchers is so hard. It's like literally the hardest position to evaluate because so much goes into catching. And um, these catchers out here in the AFL, they have a hard task because most of these guys that they're catching, they've never seen before. They don't know the arsenal or the repertoire of the pitchers that they've seen. And um, in these AFL games, oftentimes the starters will only go three to five innings. So you know, you're you're catching all these new arms out of the bullpen, and you probably don't have a good feel for their arsenal. So, um, I feel like evaluating catchers out here is very difficult, and um, I'm reticent to be too harsh on a guy. Um, so, like to be honest, I haven't loved what I've seen out of Allen out here, but I'm also, uh, like I said, reticent to just completely rip on him for those those reasons um you know i noticed at the plate um he's been shifted a couple times and pitchers seem to be working him down and away and um i think the idea is they're trying to get him to roll over um and may- maybe pull too many ground balls um type of deal but yeah i just in in my opinion i have i didn't really view him as a future catcher but um like I said, there's there's a lot that goes into um, evaluating guys out here in the AFL. That's a very diplomatic answer. It's very diplomatic. Well, Sam, <laughs> you know, the interviews I read with Sam Gini is like every time they look at Allison Allen, they're like, okay, you, you need to do this. And then he'd go out and work hard and do it. Yeah, and apparently he, he goes to Florida and works out with the same people that um, Francisco Lindor, yeah. I think, and just I mean, blows him away with the work that he puts in in the offseason. Um, so he's putting in the work and he's doing all the stuff that they ask of him and he's been improving every year. Yeah. So I guess the, the question is how far does that curve go? Cause catchers do tend to develop later than any other position. Yeah. We're kind of stacked with catchers with hedges and, and Mejia in the big league level. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to watch him. Yeah, he's rule five eligible as well. So see what happens in the next month or so with him. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a he's a strong guy too. I mean, I think there's going to be, you know, really good BABIP numbers on contact, and um, when he connects, like he mashes. So there's there there could be good slugging percentages there, and um, you know, just because I don't love him as a catcher doesn't mean I I hate the profile altogether. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Uh, so Hudson Post sending him to the AZL, I think it's a very aggressive move. Uh, how do you think he's doing? Uh, we're really high on, but I'm really high on Huddy. Um, do you see him as an impact player, or should we temper our expectations? I think he has a decent shot to be an everyday player. And um, here's the thing: like Hudson Potts turned 20 a few days ago. He's one of the younger guys in this league, and um, I think one of the things that is just um, kind of habitually underrated are factoring in how old guys are for their level. And um, this is something that I ran into in indie ball. This is something that it's applicable in the minor leagues. Um, but being only 20, he has really held his own out here. Um, I think it's a bat first profile. And uh, I do think he has a shot to stick at third, but maybe as a, uh, you know, not a flashy defender, like a fringe average defender at third, but um, the bat has a chance to play and the bat has a chance to stick. I was uh, looking at his mechanics the other day. So um, one of the things I noticed is um, early in counts, the base stance was moderately wide and he had a decent sized leg kick and this guy swings hard. He like doesn't get cheated on his swings. Um, Swings for the fences, especially early in counts. Um, but then later in counts, he shortens up a little bit. 
that leg kick gets shorter, okay. the stance a little narrower. So like he's changing things up and taking a more contact oriented approach with two strikes. Um, and I just look at the body. I think he's going to add strength due to, you know, he's only 20. So like this kid's only going to get stronger. I think, I think the power potential is pretty legitimate. Um, there's some swing and miss just due to the authority of his swings. Um, cause he is like taking hacks up there. Like he wants to make, strong solid contact so i think that opens him up a little bit to swing and miss but um this is a really interesting guy i think i think there's potential and i tweeted this out from the prospects live account too um i think he could be a 50 bat with up to like 65 game power like that's within the realm of possibility and um that would be that would be a really good player. That would be just a guy that would start for you every day at third base, and there's a lot of value to that. You know, and that would be that would finish out our infield. Well, yeah, but we got to wait a couple of years before we can even. I know that people <laughs> want to tag him as he's our third baseman of the future, but there's a lot of work to do God. to get from where he's at to where he is. But he's only 20, barely 20s. We gotta have some patience. Right, it's gonna be All a right. couple of years. All right, so next I put together a little lightning round. So, da, da, da. Um, so at any time in your career. Yeah, I was like, where's the sound effect? <laughs> yeah, we don't we, we're, we, we don't have a budget. I'm the so. sound effects. <laughs> I'm just messing. <laughs> All right, so best skills you've seen, speed. Who's the fastest guy you've seen on the ballpark? Man, do I have to pick one? Cause like you I, I, yeah. Um, there's a few guys that really stand out. Um, one is Taylor Trammell and this guy just looks like a receiver, like running around out there. And I know, um, he played football in high school. I guess he was actually a running back in Georgia and one of the top, um, high school players in the state. So this guy's interesting. Um, I've had like 70 run times down the left, um, you know, from the left for him. Another guy uh, tripled last night, Estevan Florial, and um, Yankees Yankees outfield prospect. This guy is a burner, man. Um, uh, I saw him out here in AFL last year, and just looking at the video of him, reaches max speed by like his second step. Like he's he's electric and very quick. Um, he's quick and fast, so um, interesting guy to keep an eye on. Um, my third guy is Julio Pablo Martinez, um, the Cuban um, with Texas. And uh, this is another guy, just elite speed. Um, I had, I've had i had a few like really great run times for him, and those would be my, my three guys who I think are the fastest in the, in the league. Okay, so how about back control? Back control. I mean, the obvious answer here is Vlad, but I don't, I don't want to go obvious. Um Here's a couple like under the radar guys that I like. Um, one is a guy I just mentioned, Julio Pablo Martinez again. Um, so he's been doing this kind of step in the bucket swing, which is unorthodox, and he doesn't always use it. But I was watching him up in uh, Peoria the other day, and um, the scouts in my section were just really impressed by him. Um, he uh, he went oppo. I think he. It may have been an oppo double or triple. I can't remember, but um, he took a pitch oppo and was like several steps up the line. I, I had like a ridiculous time to first. I don't remember what it was. It was like 3-8 or something like that. But um, the fact that he was kind of making his way up the first baseline while swinging, it was it was a pretty impressive uh, display of bat control. Um, to go back to... To go back to what you said about Vladdy, sorry to interrupt. Uh, I saw what you tweeted last night when you hit that double off the fence. Effing, uh, some scout said effing seed. Like he hit that ball 117 off the bat. <laughs> I think it was a <laughs> Dude, that was a laser beam. Like that, that was one of the most impressive things I've seen this year. It was great. Um, last night was uh, just an adrenaline rush too. Um, I loved it. Um, one other guy I wanted to bring up for back control is uh, Red Sox second baseman Esteban Quiroz. And um, this is a kind of off-the-radar guy, too. Um, I just I was watching him in Instructs in Florida, and um, basically I had the Red Sox Instructs roster in front of me, and the numbers were mixed up for Quiroz. And 
I, I spent like a couple days trying to figure out like who the hell is this guy? Like I was really impressed by him, but, um, in instructs, like the average age is younger. Kiroz is 26. So like once I found that out, it dampered my enthusiasm a little bit because he was kind of dominating, but also facing younger competition. Well, he's, he's continued to play well in my looks out here in AFL and he, uh, just doesn't swing and miss a lot. Has like really good feel for the zone, and um, I've seen him just make really solid loud contact. So that was that was my other answer for uh, a back control guy. That, that's an interesting guy. It looks like he's been playing in Mexico up until November of 2017 when the Red Sox finally signed him at what age 25. That's unusual. Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. That's really unusual for somebody to be, you know, so old and finally come over from, and I don't know when that's going to be able to happen again now that the MLB cut the Mexican League off. Yes. But that's a different uh, topic. Okay, so back to the lightning round. Um, defensive athleticism. I wasn't sure what, what kind of tool to describe that, but, you know, any position on the field, who's the most athletic defender you've seen? Man, I, I kind of broke this into categories. So I got a couple names for infield, outfield, and catcher. So, like, he, these are the two infielders I love the most. Lucius Fox and Cole Tucker. And they both played last night. Yeah. And both of those guys are just slick and smooth, really good range. Both have good arms. Like, Lucius Fox, that diving catch that he made, I, I thought he had no chance to get a glove on that ball. And that was just impressive. Cole Tucker... Really great footwork. I've seen him like do several like pirouette type moves where he's moving to his left, scoops a ball, you know, circles around and guns it to first. He's really impressive too. I spent like two innings yesterday trying to figure out which of those guys I like better, and like I love both of them. Um, uh, in the outfields, um, just in terms of pure athleticism, I love Monte Harrison. He does it all. Like this guy is fast. He has a cannon in the outfield. A um, couple other guys. Ryan McKenna, I think, is a little underrated. He actually has a pretty good arm, too. Um, not on the same level of, as Harrison, but a solid at least 55 or 60 arm. He's a fast guy. Um, does a little bit of everything. Um, and, and for catchers, um, the catcher that I really liked is Ali Sanchez on the Mets. Um, this guy has like, really loose hips. Just very fluid and um, very smooth in his movements behind home. I've had some pretty nasty uh, pop times for him, like as low as like 188, which is like, I think that's like a 70. I'd have to like look at my little chart, but this guy is like the nastiest defensive catcher I've seen out here. Um, that's good to hear about the Mets fans. My my wife grew up in New York and grew up a Mets fan. Her father is a Mets fan. And, uh, you know, he saw Peter. He knows of Peter Alonzo. And then Peter Alonzo hits that home run. It's up 102. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. I, just, I had such a black. I was at work last night, and it was a slow night at the restaurant. So I kept going back in my office, turning my phone on, and watching a little bit of the game, and then going out making sure everything's okay, coming back. And uh, there's some guys coming up through the Mets system that I think are going to give them some um, some hope. Real quick, and it's starting uh, to totally break off a whole conversation there. Speaking of the Mets, what are your thoughts on on them hiring you know, a, a, an agent as, as a GM? That's incredibly out-of-the-box thinking and kind of almost bizarre. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? It's yeah, it's strange. Um, I there's been like chatter in the scout section, like what are the Mets doing? Like I don't understand this. Like to me, I just feel like there are probably um, candidates that would have made more sense. I wasn't a fan of the hiring, to be honest, but um, it just seems out of left field to me. And um, yeah, I I haven't uh, you know I haven't researched it in depth or anything, but. Um, it just really struck me as odd. <laughs> I think it strikes everyone as odd. I'm trying to think. There was somebody else that jumped from scouting directly into, I don't know if they were a GM or some kind Jeff of... Jeff Morad tried to buy the Padres. He was uh, he was Okay, the, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Agent as well. Okay. Back to the lightning round. Dun, dun, dun. Lightning round. <laughs> pitching okay. command. So pitching command. Who <laughs> You know, I, I grew up loving to watching guys like, like Greg Maddox. Um, you know, they could just pinpoint... 
their pitches. And you probably don't see a whole lot of that on the, the fields that you're scouting, but uh, who have you seen that has outstanding pitching command, prison or past? Yeah, one guy I loved is uh, he's on the shorter side. He doesn't have overpowering stuff, but the command, I think, is really what gets him by, and it's uh, Milwaukee right-handed pitcher Bubba Derby. And this guy is he's small. He's listed at 5'11", 185, um, and he doesn't, like I said, it's not overpowering stuff. I think the hardest fastball I saw him throw was 90 or 91, and um, he gets some cut on it, and he just works the corners, and he kind of lives on the corners. Um, he's pitched well. I've only seen him throw twice, but um, both the outings I saw, he threw fairly well. Um, so, yeah, that would, be my, that would be my pitching command guy. Okay. Who's got the filthiest breaking ball? Oh, geez. Filthiest breaking ball. I would probably give it, I think it might be uh, J.B. Bukowskis' slider. I've seen that thing. Um, I saw it really good one night where just no one could touch it. And it was, uh, I think the thing that's so hard about it is it's a, it's a hard pitch velocity-wise, but the break is insanely late. And, um, yeah, I would, I would give it to that, but... Um, I talked to him a couple times this year in Double A, playing against the missions. He's yeah, did did you like him? Like, I just, yeah. I think the slider is his slider is dirty. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I think it was last week. I saw you tweet something about the about a verbal and audible grunt. Who's who's <laughs> the loudest worker on the pitching mound? You know, I'm like upset. I needed to. Uh, I should have looked through my notes before we did this, um, but. Uh, I can't even remember who I tweeted that about. Um, it may have been it may have been Bray on Oakland. I think it was someone on Mesa. But um, yeah, I'm I'm blanking on who I wrote that about. It was either it may have been Hainwich. I can't remember. Um, sorry. <laughs> is, is that is it an intimidation factor or is this an actual uh, mechanism that helps them? <laughs> I you you know when you're at the gym and you're like working out you're doing uh, bench press and you're you're yeah you're you're breathing out you know you're supposed to breathe out as you push the bar up uh, maybe maybe this gets a little something something on the fastball i don't know um i think i'm Bill not does it i don't think it does it in the postseason I mean, they've got everything mic'd up so much better they've right. got multiple guys with those those uh you know those those dishes to pick up and so i noticed that um um, who's the curveballer for for the Dodgers? Um, Rich Hill. It's Rich Hill Rich is Hill a is grunter. Runner. And then I know like Nolan Ryan used to grunt like crazy. I don't know if that actually does anything. <laughs> All right, now you. Mentioned- I'm not sure, but I, I I do take note of it. I mean, it's there's if if you're grunting, there's clearly effort. So you know, I, I'm I'm taking note of that. That's true. But then Nolan Ryan went out there and threw 235 pitches in one game. So whatever effort he was putting in, it was sustainable. Yeah, Ryan sure. Yeah, it's you can't write someone off for grunting, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Serena Williams made a whole career of it. Uh, so uh, you mentioned Darius Valdez is six foot eight, and he's like a giant slender man out there. Who's the most imposing physical specimen you've seen on a baseball field? Yeah, Valdez was on my little list here, but in addition to him, um, Melvin Adone with the Giants is uh, similarly huge. He, I don't think he's as tall as Valdez, but he's like a solid 6'5", 240, something like that. Well, he he looks like a, last night, right? Did yeah, this guy throws hard. Um, yeah, he he can touch 100 pretty easy, but it's a straight 100, and um, he gave up a triple to Yu Chang and... Uh, I, I still like him. Um, I think his fastball actually works better at lower velos because it moves a little more um, when he's only, quote-unquote, only like 95 to 97. Um, uh, but, yeah, he's got a pretty nasty slider, too. The, uh, I saw the slider bad one night, but other than that, it's been, it's been really good. And um, this is a guy that I've, I've heard is Rule 5 eligible coming up. So I think... Uh, I think San Fran would be wise to keep him, but we'll see what happens there. A couple other guys that I think are just physically imposing. One we've already mentioned, Peter Alonzo. Man, if you look at his lower half, the thighs and just his legs, 
this this guy never skips leg day, man. Like he's freaking massive. Um, but just I feel like he's well proportioned too. Like his upper body is like just as strong as his lower half. Like this guy is strong as an ox, and um, he's, he's very taller guy as well. Yeah, he's he's physically impressive. Um, some of the other just obvious answers I, I guess would be you know throw vlad in the mix here and uh monte harrison like anytime you bring up physical specimen like i feel like i'd be remiss to not bring up monte like he is a, just a freak athlete and um always impressive and amazing to watch did you ever get a chance to see fran mill reyes uh fran mill no i don't think i saw him he's a beast yeah i guess i've i've met him i've gotten his autograph and he is a large human being all right, so that's enough with the uh, the lightning round. Um, one topic that's kind of thrown around a little bit that I see people banter around that the the statistical numbers, all this raw data, is becoming more and more a part of baseball. And so now, when we see transactions or whatever, we hear about their spin rate or what their velocity is, what their pop times are. Um, now, I know some of those things are things that you keep yourself with stopwatch, uh, but do you do you look at any of that? Do you have access to that data, and do you use it at all as a scout? Yeah, so um, I think scouts for major league teams would have access to that if they were to ask for it. Um, just as an outsider, um, I don't have access to it at the minor league level. Like um, Major league orgs, they would hate for someone like me to get my hands on it because... Um, I would, I would literally. Uh, one of the things I'm, uh, one of the things I'm going to do in the off season is uh, learn some of these programming lang- languages like SQL and R that let you um, kind of play with and manipulate the data. And um, so, it's I I, wa- I don't want to be a one dimensional scout. I want to be a scout who considers the analytics and um, is if there's a piece of information available to you. I think you'd be unwise to ignore it. And um, analytics is, I think it's a smaller piece of the pie relative to in-person looks, but it's still important. And I still think it's worth looking at it and um, delving into the data. And um, I can't go into super in-depth detail, but um, even over the summer when I was doing the indie ball stuff for Milwaukee, um, I referenced um, publicly available data and um, kind of, Similar to TrackMan data is what I would say um, in in trying to make a case for a player that I thought we should sign and um, the we didn't ultimately sign said player but um, the Brewers considered my argument and you know were listening to me which was pretty cool um, so you know I do care about the data um, I'm not one of those I'm not a scout who is only gonna um, value infield looks um, I. I do think there's uh, value in, in looking at the data and seeing what you can learn from it. So um, I'm actually pretty excited for the off season just to see um, what I can do once I uh, learn that um, program language stuff. Um, my my background was actually I went to school for economics. So um, you know, it's a it's a matter of uh, un- unlocking a little bit of you know untapped potential. I think. So do you think you would use that to? validate what your eye is seeing like you see a pitcher with a particularly nasty fastball and you want to figure out why hitters can't quite pick up to it and you see that they have the spin rate that they're or um maybe if there's a pitcher that the the numbers say that the spin rate's up but the axis is off and you see an opportunity that this is somebody we might be able to work i how do you think you'd be able to to get the numbers and what you're seeing how do you get those two to, to come together? How do you work them? Yeah, um, one thing I really like to do, here's a here's a good example. Um, back in toward the end of March, I was um, watching the NHS uh, National High School Invitational Tournament. Um, they, they host it every year out in, in uh, Cary, North Carolina. And um, a lot of the premier high school players, their whole teams get invited out. So I saw a number of first-round draft picks um, before they were drafted. And uh, one of the picks I saw was uh, Cole Wynn, who Texas took in the first round. I think it was like 15th overall, thereabouts. And um, I was watching Cole Wynn, and he seemed to be getting a lot of swings on his fastball. 
on the zone, and um, it looked like it was, you know how they, they call it like a rising fastball, but it's like technically falling um, less quickly. Right. Um, so I kind of just jotted in my notes, and I think I tweeted it out at the time too. I, I tweeted, uh, Cole Wynn using fastball up in the zone looks high spin. Um, well, at those high school tournaments, they actually have TrackMan um, in place, and uh, once the tournament's concluded, you can look up, you can go on the TrackMan website, and um, there'll be spin rate data available. You can um, you can get like max spin rate, average spin rate, um, um, f- and on a pitch type basis. So I looked up the um, the maximum spin rates for fastballs, and uh, Cole Wynn was like first or second among. Um, everybody in the tournament so that was kind of a cool way of like validating what my eyes had seen and um you know it's it's hard to like confirm like what you're seeing when you're scouting as being right or wrong um so like whenever you can like double check yourself in that way it's it's a great thing um and i uh i try to talk to scouts and like kind of bounce what i'm seeing off of them um because I just want to make sure like what I'm seeing is on the right track and uh, times there just aren't good ways to check it. But um, I think if you can get your hands on the data, you know, the analytics is, is a great way to do that. Well, and you talked a little bit about that on the podcast when you're one of these Scott's advice podcasts is like getting your, your readjusted. Uh, I'm looking for the word and you would go watch a major league. Oh, uh, recalibrating. Recalibrating. And it's just like, you see these great pitches in the minors and you're like, well, that's a really, that's a sharp slider. Oh, that's a big break and a curveball. And you go to see a major game, you're like, oh, oh, that's a, <laughs> that's a sharp break on a slider. You know, that's a that's a curveball falling off the table. Um, my my question is this: so we're kind of in a very interesting period in baseball, where we are, you know, where it's kind of like the old school eye test. Well, he looks like he might be a ball player, so let's make let's uh, scout him and you know, and sign him to the analytics side where they're trying to find a, a mixture of those two, to obviously, to, to win championships. But um, And we've seen some of that kind of in the World Series this last year with a lot of talk with Dave Roberts and a lot of his decisions coming from, not from his own gut, but from the higher-ups and from the data that they have against matchups and, and what pitcher is better in a situation or what, what hitter is better in a situation. And... I think just there's a little bit of misunderstanding there. It's just a, I, I don't know. There's a way to to coach where you don't necessarily need to say those things and just kind of do them. Like what do you what do you kind of see where we are with you know just talk about Major League Baseball for a minute in the 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 uh, the molding of the melding of the two of actual analytics. Yeah. Made that. For me, um, for me, I don't think the way I view it is um, I don't. I don't think there should be a clash between scouting and analytics. I think they should just these are these are tools that front offices I think should use in unison and um, this is something to make to make the best decisions possible, you want to use a combination of both. And here's the other thing, if if there is disagreement between um, analytics side people and scouting side people, well that's actually that's ideal um, in terms of if, if the analytics say this player is someone worth paying attention to and the scout guys say this guy's worth paying attention to, um, they're kind of helping you identify more, more potential good players than you otherwise would notice. So, you know, I, I, don't, th- I don't view it as a this or that. Um, I just view it as something that all teams should do. Um, and I think majority of teams in current MLB, you know, are heavily vested in both scouting and analytics. Um, so it, the game is definitely changing, but I, I think it's changing for like a more, you know, just more cerebral minded GM who are, who, you know, they're going to factor in, you know, any piece of information they can get their hands on. Yeah, which I heard that you know the the Giants have been really looking for that kind of guy that can use both, uh, not only just the sabermetric side but also the scouting side. Um, interesting. So, is there anything? So let's wrap this up here with you, Jason. I really appreciate you taking the time um, on your one day off from the Arizona Fall League. Um, is there anything? <laughs> is there anything you're working on, or anything you want to share with our listeners that uh, that you might uh, want to let us know about? 
Um, I'm trying to think what we have coming up on Prospects Live. So we do have another uh, Scouts Have Eyes dropping um, pretty soon. So Jason and I talked about just scouting in person versus um, scouting with a buddy and kind of the pros and cons of each. Um, that was a, a major piece of the conversation. Um, we also have um, some more lists um, dropping, like Prospect Live Top 30 lists. And um, this morning we recorded a... Uh, basically, we ran through the first-year player draft rankings that um, Ralph, who's at Prospect Jesus, and then Matt Thompson... Um, you know, they compiled a list for first year player draft and um, the five of us were all together on the call and we kind of discussed different players on the list and talked about you know, our opinions on them. So, yeah, those are just a couple things to uh, watch out for, you know, that should be dropping early next week. You know, not, not only does Ralph have the, the raddest uh, Twitter handle and prospect Jesus, but he also has a great, uh, <laughs> and that's got to be his pen name, the Ralph Lifshitz. Well, that's Ralph Loren, the designer, Ralph Loren's real name. And so I think we, we discovered that when we talked to – who was it we were talking to that told us that that was an actual pen name for him? Lance? It's Lance, yeah. Yeah, maybe Lance was the one that told us that and that he was not at liberty to disclose Mr. Lipschitz's yes. actual name. And I think it's pronounced Lichance. Lichance. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, when you guys drop when you guys drop the Padres top thirty prospects, and I don't know when you're going to do that, or if you're going to do that, but definitely would love to have you come back on and, and talk about that. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. This has been this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I I would love to come on at any time, and uh, it's just so much fun talking prospects. So uh, you know, thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely, Jason. Have a good night. Talk to you later. All right, have a good one, guys. All right, bye. Okay, bye. Dude, All right, that was cool. That was way cool. That was a lot of stuff to, to unpack, but we, we rolled through all of that. Well, I, and I also kind of like that we, we went on beyond what just the, uh, the Padres and AZL. Yeah. That we went a little deeper in other organizations mm-hmm. and into analytics and all kinds of other things. I know I tend to get... I, I tend to get narrow-minded and really focus on what the Padres players are doing. And so when something like this happens, the AZL happens, yeah. the AFL, I should say, and now you've got a couple of Padres prospects playing with a half dozen other teams, yeah. and it kind of opens your eyes as to, okay, there are other really good players out there. Yeah. And we we talk about our, our system is stacked. Well, there's so many good players out there. Yeah, he didn't he didn't mention Kevin Biggio. He didn't mention Forrest Whitley. So yeah. last night was the first time, uh, I think, in all Arizona Fall League or Fall Stars game that they've had the top uh, pitching prospect and the top hitting prospect in the same game in Vladdy and Forrest Whitley. Okay, just by chance, though, and Just right? by chance. But yeah. Whitley was just a beast last night. He started that game and it's just... It's funny because if he didn't, you know, they're talking about him last night where if he didn't have, uh, he had a drug suspension, he has a little bit of a, maybe some makeup issues there that they had to deal with. But they said if he didn't have that and didn't have some of the injuries that he probably would have been on the pros- uh, on the playoff roster. Oh, wow. And, and even now they're like, where are we going to put him in the, you know, in that five-man rotation that Houston has and he's that good. Uh-huh. So um, interesting stuff. Great, great episode. Yeah. Now, did you want to did you want to touch on this other topic that you mentioned? So, I before we break off, uh, the, the one other point we have down here is that Michael Geddes. Well, we mentioned that that Michael yeah. Geddes is going to be in the Aussie League. Yeah. Um, but uh, you pointed me to an article um, that struck a chord with you. Yeah. And uh, it looks like this was just posted yesterday. Um, Jason, so, well, it's Jason Woodell, one of the other guys that uh, works for Prospect Lives, uh, wrote an essay on his battling with depression. And um, coming from my family, uh, my side of family, I've, I've struggled with, um, in the past, struggled with drug addiction and alcoholism. I've been sober 16 years. And um, it has taken a lot of work to work through, um, you know, the stuff that, that goes along with years and years of alcohol and drug abuse. Uh, not only emotionally, but uh, temperamentally and personality and just, you know, having that I don't know, just because, just, God, I, I, I've lived my whole life with so much self-doubt and so much fear that, um, for me, it, it, I don't know if it's called, I, I wouldn't call it depression, maybe I'm kind of, like, not 
giving it the power that I should. But I just I wanted to mention that my, my wife Liddy, who um, you know has the Hell's Bells podcast, you know suffers from the same um, you know recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, certainly suffers from some depression from time to time, and I hit my bottoms every once in a while. It'll just come on where you just you you, you just it, it, it's my life is fantastic. I love my life. I love my job. I love everything about my life, but it has nothing to do with that. It's a it's an imbalance inside, be it chemical, uh, for me, be it you know, with that deals with your emotions. And some days I'm like, ah, it's just what am I doing? Yeah, like what am I doing? No, that's, that's why do I keep that, doing it? <laughs> it's something that has immediately affected the people in my household in the last couple yeah. of months. Um, and I don't need to go into any detail, but the people that know us personally know that we've been, we've been going through some stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's affected me personally in the past that you get these feelings of worthlessness and inadequacy and, and that you in the grand scope of the universe. I'm such this insignificant little speck that, and at but, some point it's like, well, what's the point? Of saving money when we're all going to die anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And why am I going to go experience all these things when I'm just going to die and become worm food someday? Yeah, it's it's these thoughts creep into our minds and they all kind of add up, and then that one straw that breaks the camel's back makes people do something rash. Right. Absolutely. And I've I've had thoughts about that in the past. I've never taken action. Um, but I know people very close to me that have. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's a scary thing. But this piece that was published here, Depression, Anxiety and Baseball, um, and this is just it's it's a person who has struggled for years and they're laying it all out here. Um, Definitely, and if you want to pick up the uh, on Twitter, he's Jason at the game, Jason Woodell, who uh, writes for Prospects Live. Um, and you know, it's just if you're out there and you 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 can identify with something that's written in the article, something that we've said, um, seek help, seek a way. Uh, you're not alone, and that's that's mm-hmm. the thing about depression is like uh, with my alcoholism, like I thought I was alone. I didn't didn't realize I, there were other people out there suffering as, as I was. And uh, there were times in my life where I didn't think I was suffering, where I was working and I was fine. But mm-hmm. once you get past that point, you're like, I'm the only one here. And when you find someone else that's going through the same thing you do, you're not so alone. Yes. And then you feel you can open up. You feel you can talk to other people about it. And um, not only and is e- that, Even if it's a stranger on the internet, if you right. see something and it strikes a chord and you send a message of, you know, hey, I feel these same things you never know where that might lead. Right. And, and you, th- reaching out to somebody is, is kind of the first step in, in getting help. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that that help has to come from within that you need to find the motivation and the reasons and the, the, the change within yourself. But then there are sources from outside that can help those things come along. There's therapy, there's medication, there's um, other forms of, of help that can help you with, with depression. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my wife went through several years of, of therapy. Um, and, and, and at times I was on medication for a while. And I have tons of friends that are on medications that, um, you know, that help them live productive and happy lives. But they just need, you know, it's that chemical balance that we have that, that needs to be fixed and addressed. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I saw it the other day. I talked a little bit uh, to uh, to Jason uh, before we t- got him here on the podcast, and wanted to reach out and say that that's you know I, I share that experience and that uh, he's not alone. Yep, nobody out there is alone. No. So if you need help, reach out. There, the people in your life that care about you will will answer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's it. So what do we have coming up this week? I, you know, on my schedules, I've, I've the been ABL, so. Okay, so the ABL starts another week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, what I heard on uh, on the show before the show podcast is uh, in about two weeks, we should hear the unveiling of the name of the new Amarillo baseball team. Yes. I hope they're the sod poodles. God, I, I hope they're the sod poodles. <laughs> and they talked about one of the new teams, uh, the uh, Rocket City Trash Pandas. And the trash pandas. Yes. 
Um, which is a raccoon. Which is definitely a raccoon. But it's a more fun name than being the raccoons. Absolutely. And uh, then they were talking about another unveiling, and then that was uh, like November 7th, and then he said about a week and a half after that, we should have the unveiling for uh, Amarillo, and that's our friend of the podcast, Ben Benjamin Hill. Yes. Who was talking about that. So we uh-huh. have that coming up the next few weeks. Uh, we'll see if we can gather up some content for another podcast next week. But until then, you can reach me at, on Twitter at SD Donovan. And I am at Zippy underscore TMS. Have a great day and go Padres. Yes, go Padres. 